Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. Buckle up, guys, because this week's episode is going to be a lively one. Andy and I are diving into a topic that has been all over veterinary medicine lately, and that is when did our GPs, our general practices, and our ERs become enemies? And more importantly to Andy and I, what do we do about it? How do we start talking about this? How do we start addressing the issue? Even if we can't solve it with a snap of our fingers, which I think we all wish we could, how do we how do we tackle it? How do we talk about it with our teams? How do we make it better? Because this fighting does no one any good, especially not our patients, not our clients, and really not our not our teams. So let's get into this one. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and Stephanie. Everybody was kung fu fighting goss. <laughs> I like that one. Oh, man. I am tired of kung fu fighting. <laughs> I need everybody to put their nunchucks down and just get along for a few minutes, please. For a hot, for a hot minute, yeah. Just a hot that. minute. I would like there to be peace across the vet universe. Oh, man. Well, you know, it's so easy to feel that way because there's so much there's so much drama and hysterics happening in our field right now. And then when you turn outward and look at the world, like it's it's exhausting the level of just um, fighting and anxiety. And I just take a deep breath and go to my happy place. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. How's it going? It's um, it's overall, it's pretty good. I got to say it's it's pretty darn good Good. navigating the insane world that we live in. Um, But but honestly, I'm doing good. I had an article that came out in uh, today's veterinary business uh, Mm -hmm. just a couple of days ago, and it's been a while since I've written something that's gotten that big of a response. I've actually been really amazed at how much I've heard about the article and how many people have commented on it. But it's um. It's a lot about sort of, you know, being happy in work and yeah. um, and just kind of accepting that a job is not going to make you happy. Uh, there's no ultimate outcome. It's just a job. And, you know, it's just a, well, it's just a path that you walk on. And if you can enjoy walking on the path, then then you're good. Yeah. And um, and that's just kind of so that's a massive summarization. But that that's kind of what it's about. And man, it seems like a lot of people needed to hear that. So I. It just makes me so happy when I write something and people um, people seem to get a lot out of it. So I'm, I'm still kind of smiling from from the feedback from that. Good, as you should. And and it makes sense why it resonates with people, because we are in a field where for so many people, a big part of their identity is tied to work. And so yeah. I think I, as veterinary medicine, as I have always known it in my entire career, has been you find happiness because of the work that you're doing <laughs> that that's yeah. been the mindset for so many people. And, and it's been really hard to remind myself at times, let alone my peers, just a job. <laughs> like at the yeah. end of the day, you know, it's, I want to love what I'm doing. I want to love who I'm doing it with and who I get to, who I'm working with in my team. And at the same time, like the things that are more important to me are long-term survival and if my job had to change tomorrow like I could roll with the punches it doesn't mean it wouldn't suck I wouldn't be sad to have change happen but like at the end of the day being able to let go of that it took me a long time to get to that place because I for a very long time I was one of those people where I felt defined by what I was doing in my job Mm -hmm. and what my job was and who I was doing it with and the difference that I was making in the work that I was doing and uh, letting go of that mindset is really hard. Yeah, it is really hard, but I, I think it's really, really valuable. And I think mm-hmm. I think a lot of the struggles that uh, vet people have today are tied up in this in this self identity. It's how it's how we see ourselves, and yeah. I, I think I think that speaks to what you and I are about to get into here quite a quite a bit. But you know, I'm starting to really get a bad taste in my mouth when people talk about vet medicine being a calling. And I never used to feel that way. And I've, I've leaned into that in some ways. And in some ways, I really get it. In other ways, I th- I think that it maybe is a productive mindset because it's like, it puts this external responsibility on your shoulders of like, I'm supposed to be a thing. I was chosen to be this. 
Uh, I was called to be this, which means that there's no sacrifice that I won't make. And if I come to a place where there's a sacrifice I will make, then I probably was not called to this. Uh, that's That whole mind space is just kind of ridiculous, yeah. you know? Like yeah. it, and I don't, I don't know that it's healthy. And again, I, I think about like James Harriet and stuff and, and people saying vet medicine is a calling. And it's one thing to have something that you consider as a calling in the days before social media and email and cell phones and people can reach you 24 seven, because then I do think that the phone rang and you got up and you went and you did it and you served your local community and that was it. But you didn't have constant bombardment of stress and phone calls and requests for information and hey i have a question to ask you on facebook no i'm not going to come into the office you know like right you didn't have that you were just you could be your own person and still be there uh and feel really fully engaged and now i'm like the demands for engagement are endless and i just don't think any of us can feel like we're there for everyone who wants us or needs us and i, I think we got to make peace with that well and i'm glad you brought that up because it leads us into <laughs> the discussion for this week which is a really good one so we said we're sick of the kung fu fighting and this is something that has come up and the reason i'm stoked to do this week's episode is um i've seen so much recently mm -hmm. in groups on online and, and social media about the conflict that is happening right now that is feels very new to me um, between GPs and ERs. And there is just this sudden disconnect and finger pointing that is happening uh, where it feels like GPs and ERs right now are feeling and acting in a lot of ways, like enemies. And mm -hmm. it is, it is frightening to me because GPs and ERs have, have coexisted synergistically for so long. Like we need them, they need us. And it's always been this magic, this magic thing um, from, from a GP's perspective, having, having worked both sides from a GP perspective, being able to say, I, I can't do this or the best place for your pet is here with more experience, more tools, more whatever, and being able to offer your clients something and direct them to that space. And on the ER side, your clinics are your clients, right? Like they, the referrals and the people that get sent your way, that's how you have business. And man, this summer I have seen so much more anger and hatred and finger pointing on both sides of the argument on both sides of the line gps and er's because clients are overwhelming both sides and nobody seems to know what to do about it and i am in a group um and there's some there's some awesome managers in there and uh my friend maria asked the question recently that sparked me to really want to dig into this because it was the first time i had seen anybody say okay okay all the finger pointing is happening. What in the hell are we going to do about it? Like, how do we right. fix this problem? And I was like, yes, that is what I want to jam out about with Andy because it can't just be everybody sits around and finger points. We'll get nowhere. No, I yeah, I I completely agree. I, and I get it. Um, I I get I get the finger pointing, and it's not made up. You know what I right. mean? I and and I think yes. I think we I think we start with this right. Um, this is not. I agree with you completely that the. There is a problem with communication. I'm not going to say this is a communication problem. Um, yes. You know, you know what I mean? And um, it is a capacity problem. But mm -hmm. I think we make it exponentially worse with poor communication, poor boundary setting, poor communication of expectations, uh, pure, poor, poor expectation setting uh, all, all the way around. So I think that there's a lot of ways that we're making this bad. But I want to be clear to say, well, you know, the problem is it's this is really a problem that does not have an immediate fix mm -hmm. and the first step in resolving this solution is knowing that because yeah. then you go okay um you know some problems can't be solved they have to be carried and you go okay well this is the problem we have to carry let's figure out how to work together to carry this burden as cleanly and smoothly as possible without dropping it on our foot and then getting into a fight because you didn't hold your end up the way yep. that I think that you should, because that's what's <laughs> happening now. Yes, hundred percent. That's such a good. That's such a good explanation. 
It's it's so true. So if for anybody who has been living in a bubble, like let me just let me just be clear and set the stage. So the last I don't know, probably six to nine months, the there's been a lot of strain. GPs are overwhelmed. Day practices are overwhelmed with patients. They're taking drop offs and um, fit ins and uh, working through lunches to try and keep up with the patient load. And as a result of that, and more pets are going to the ER directly and bypassing clinics because more people have pets than ever. COVID puppies and kittens have exploded and there's a vast need for care both on the GP side and on the ER side. And when those GPs have gotten overwhelmed, our response has always been, we can get you in. And when we, when we, when we're literally telling clients, we can't see you for two weeks, if it's something that is emergent, our response has been, you need to seek care to try and educate, right? You need to seek care sooner. So here's the closest ER. The problem is, is that when the ERs are overwhelmed, they can't necessarily fit them in either. And a lot of the GPs have fallen back on that as a crutch because clients are mad at them because they can't get in sooner. The client perceives that there is emergent response to what they're seeing with their pet. And the GPs are saying, we can see you in two weeks. If you really feel like you need to be seen sooner, you can visit the ER. And they're giving clients permission to then go to the ER. And so the ER is then feeling overwhelmed. And like, why are you not communicating with your clients that this is not an emergency? Like, we don't need to see your ear infection or your toenail trims or things that have been going on for ages. The, the ERs are looking at it going, we're, we're here to deal with emergency medicine and specialized care, we don't need to solve ear infection problems, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. or those chronic problems that have been going on where owners just don't want to wait to be seen by their GP. So that's kind of where things stand. And I thought it was really interesting. And also, like you said, so multifaceted in how we approach it. There's no there's no silver bullet. There's no let's snap our fingers and this is going to fix the problem. I think it is going to take both sides talking about it and working through it. So I'm super geeked to uh, to talk about that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, let's uh, go ahead and let's start to get into it because there's a lot of there's a lot of ethics here and there's sort mm -hmm. of a lot of philosophy and headspace here. Yep. Um, okay. So whenever I start to approach a problem like this and sort of say, okay, what are we really going to do? I, I think it's important to understand the uh, the problem itself from a logistics standpoint and then also sort of from an emotional standpoint. And so the logistic standpoint is we have, again, let me start by saying logistically, this is very regional, which yes. means there's a lot of people who will hear this and be like, we're, we're doing, we're doing just fine. <laughs> like we're busy, <laughs> but we can handle it. And then they go home and they're like, is there something wrong with my practice? <laughs> like, 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 like we're not, we're, we're not overwhelmed. Does that, does that bad? No, it's not bad. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it said this is this is very regional and um, and it also varies a lot, a lot with the practices. So if you're not having this experience, that's good. Uh, that, mm -hmm. That's good. Um, and again, some people definitely won't have it. It is quite common. So start off and just say this is regional uh, in the places where it is really bad. It's a capacity problem. There is more pets coming in than the doctors at the clinic can reasonably see. Yep. And so they are saying, we can't see you and we don't want your dog to hurt. And so you need to go to the emergency clinic um, and, and let them see you if you want to get treated today. Well, that works in the short term. But in these places where we have massive cap capacity problems, we've already overflowed to where other practices are also sending their stuff. Right. to the emergency clinic. And honestly, think about most emergency clinics. A lot of them are fairly small operations when you really get into it. They've yep. got a doctor or two that stays up overnight and triages and takes care of the things that come in. They're supposed to be a safety net, not a big piece of healthcare system. Right. You know, sort of a last line of defense and alternative to veterinarians taking call. It's kind of how a lot of them were built. Mm -hmm. And so they're just not equipped to have... Um, to have big caseloads. And it's because guess what guys, a lot of us don't want to stay up overnight. And right. so those jobs, you know, those jobs are, are, are tough. And, and I think a lot of the vet clinics, the emergency clinics are struggling with the same problem of hiring vets and staff that the day clinics are, are, are wrestling with. 
That's what I was going to say, because on the flip side of that, the ERs and and um, bigger ER clinics where they are uh, in a regional area where one big ER serves a big geographic area or they're in more concentrated metropolitan areas and have, you know, 10, 12 doctors and bigger teams, they are facing the exact same hiring problems. And I'm so glad you said that because that for a lot of them, we've started seeing news stories about big ER centers, like multi-doctor ER centers in major metropolitan cities. My area is one of them where they are having to close some of the time because they don't have the staff to support the patients. And rather than sacrifice patient care, they have said, we don't have the bodies. And so it's safer for us to just say, we have to be closed on these days than to try and handle cases that we're not equipped to to handle with lower staff. So I think, you know, I think both of those things are, are true and play into this. Like you, like we said, it's definitely multifaceted. Yeah. I think part of the logistics thing that everyone has to factor in is, uh, and I think this gets skipped over uh, to large detriment, uh, capacity is real. And if you push people past capacity again and again and again, they're going to quit or they're going to break and that's it. And so you see some of the emergency clinics and they're, they're saying, we can't work like this and our staff mm-hmm. is going to quit and then we're going to be more shorthand and everything is going to be worse. And so we are, in some cases, I see emergency clinics that say we're going to be closed on Tuesday nights. We're yep. not going to be here Tuesdays. And so you just need to let pet owners know that our, we are not here taking emergencies on Tuesday yeah. nights. And that, and so that that's the logistical part of it. And that leads into the emotional part. And uh, a lot of general practitioners get really angry and say, how dare you not be there on Tuesday night? Yep. You're not allowed to do that. You're letting down your responsibility. Or they send a client there and they say the client can go get their ear infection seen at the emergency clinic and the client gets there and waits four hours. And the client, yeah, and and the client is furious and calls the GP and then the GP calls the emergency clinic and acts like a jerk to them. And I see that, like, how dare you make my client wait there and blah, blah, blah. And you go, this is lunacy. Uh, none yeah. of this, none of this is good, but, yeah. but they start to have this, this emotional reaction. And so let's talk about the emotional part. I, I think one of the big reasons that you see so much tension here is that this is not about scheduling, right? If it was about scheduling, we would all look at our schedules and we would figure things out. Mm-hmm. It's not about scheduling. It's about um, responsibility and self-identity. And so, so let's unpack that a little bit. When, um, when we ha- are not able to get any more clients in, right? And we get to the point where my team is burning out. I want to go home. I need to go home. I can't keep working like this. I am going home. Even if I stay late and I'm not, I just can't continue to stay late or I can't stay later. At some point we have to decide, am I going home and sending these people away or am I going to stay here? And at some point when you're past capacity, you have to go home. Right. Even if you have the willpower to keep going, your staff doesn't and they will break and they will leave and then you'll be working more shorthanded than you are now. And I think yes. a lot of people have found that out and are finding that out the hard way. And so what that does to them a lot of times is, I think the reason that so many vets work so hard is because they have this self-identity of, I am the one who rescues. I am the one who saves. Yeah. I am the one who takes care of these pets. These pets are my responsibility. They are my clients and I am obligated to serve them and take care of them. And that's what they believe and that's what they tell themselves. And I think a lot of times we tell ourselves that for good reason, I'm trying to try to motivate ourselves, trying to, to feel like we are important and our work matters. The way that that backfires in our face is we convince ourselves that we are so important to these people and that this is our responsibility that it is truly traumatic for us to then step away and go, I'm going home. You know, I, I'm not I'm not going to do this. And so one of the big things is, is just, um, it's this responsibility. It's this idea that I do not turn my clients away. They are my clients and I will take care of them. Um, and there's, there's, no, there's no scenario where I just don't see the pet and feel okay about it. And so I, I think that that really makes a lot of this hard for um, for the GPs. And, and so then when they do send people away, if those people have a bad experience, they get they get really 
upset about it. So I think the doctors are coming from a point of frustration and then they say, well, I'm going to send this person away. And the person doesn't want to go away. They don't want to go to the uh, ER and spend three times as much money. So everybody's upset and it just becomes this big emotional thing. You know, I, I think a lot of us here, uh, sort of another part of our identity that's really flaring up right now is we have this weird competitive streak. And maybe it's not weird. But we have this competitive streak in, in, uh, in vet medicine where my clients are my clients and no one else can see my clients and I'm not send, uh, turning clients away. It's like yeah. this scarcity mentality where we're always worried that we're gonna run out of food. So we have to eat whatever we can eat and we can share nothing uh, because yeah. we, it might not be there tomorrow. And so we end up with this idea of like, I have, if these people call, I have to see them. And that's why we have people who will say, like, they will not say, we're not taking new clients. Right. Like that's a foreign language to them. And they, they push back. And, um, and the idea, here's, here's the other thing. I'll put forward another option, which will uh, immediately infuriate <laughs> some people. One alternative to telling people to go to the, um, to the vet or to the emergency clinic is to tell them uh, that there's some other vet hospitals that they could call and see if they have availability to see your pet. And 100%. people go, heresy, Andy, heresy. <laughs> How could you say that? And my point is for Pete's sake, guys, if you've got more work than you can do Absolutely. and you're working yourself to death and you're working your team to death, then clinging desperately to every client is ridiculous. Yes. And they go, but what if they go somewhere else? Then you will get to go home. <laughs> and you know, and because they go there one time doesn't mean they're going to stay there. If you're doing a great job and you take good yes. care of people, they'll come back. And yes. if they don't, it's not the end of the world. Like at some point you're better off taking good care of the clients that you're going to see and taking good care of yourself so that you're in a headspace that you can actually do a job that's worth the crap and you're happy to be there and you smile at people versus you see all the clients and are miserable and your marriage falls apart and you, you know, and you yes. walk into the room and it's like a thundercloud rolls through the door and rains on everybody. Like yes. that's, it's so, it's so funny to me that like people are like hard work, grinding it out is clearly the answer. And that is no, that is 30% of the answer. The other 70% of the answer is you resting and you uh, being kind to yourself and you exercising, you eating well, and you doing all the things that you need so that when you're in the clinic, you're someone that people want to be around, including your staff. Well, and it's interesting because when you look outside of veterinary medicine and you look at the customer service industry, um, I my own personal experience was um, having had some like... Uh, high-end concierge service training early on in my customer service career. And I'll never forget, um, after I had had some of that training, I was working, I was a, a manager at a bookstore um, when I was in university and I was working at the bookstore and uh, it's they're no longer in business. So it was back in the days of Borders. So I was working at Borders Books and uh, we had a customer come up to the customer service desk and they were looking for a specific book. And I looked it up and I said, no, we don't have it in stock. And they looked pretty bummed. And I said, well, let me see if I can get it ordered for you. And it was a book that was going to take like seven to 10 days to, to come in. And I grew up in a fairly small, small town. And the the customer looked pretty sad. And I said, you know what, let me uh, let me make a, a couple phone calls and see if I can find it locally for you. And I, I called our competitor, right? I called Barnes and Nobles, which was downtown. And I said, hey, guys, do you have this book? And sure enough, they had it. And I said to the client, um, you know, they they have the book. Would you would you like to go pick it up? And they were like, oh, my gosh, that would be so great. So I gave them their information and I hung up the phone and the customer had a whole stack of books in their hand. And I thought for sure they were going to hand them back to me and say, I'm going to go to Barnes and Nobles and I'm just going to buy the books. And they were like, thank you so much for doing that. Like that was above and beyond. I'm going to go. They're like, can you ring me up for these books? And I'm going to go over there and pick up that one. And it was something that stuck with me. And it always bothered me in veterinary medicine that we didn't have that same kind of attitude because it's about taking care of the people. And when I started working in the vet clinic, I remember the first time that we had a client who called and they were like, you know, I, I need an estimate for wellness care. And I was talking to them about vaccines and their pet's lifestyle. 
and I gave them the, the cost for the visit. And they were just like, I, that's just out of my outside of my budget. Do you have any suggestions? And I hadn't been trained on what to say about that at that point as brand new receptionist. And I thought, well, I'm going to give them some options. So I said, well, you know, there are a couple of low cost vaccine clinic options. Uh, well, first I asked them, how you know, how much money do you have to spend? And they were like, I, you know, I really need it as cheap as possible. Like I have $50. And I was like, okay, the difference between what we're offering and $50 mm -hmm. is big. And so I said, well, let me, let me give you the, the name and number of the two vaccine clinics that are in town. And here's the differences. You don't get an exam. You're just getting the vaccines. But, you know, if you feel like your pet is healthy and you're really like, it's better for them to be vaccinated than not. And I remember when I hung up the phone, um, my, my boss at the time was like, Hey, can I talk to you? And I thought, Oh God, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. And they were just like, I, I really appreciate that because at the end of the day, when we can take care of those clients, they remember that and they'll come back. Like when they, when they need the help and the care that, that sticks with them. And I always think back to the bookstore because it was totally true. That client became one of our a, a regular, they came in like every two weeks, like clockwork and bought a bunch of books and stuff like that. And I thought, you know, that, that is a, lesson that veterinary medicine could learn to use because we do live in this place where we think there's not enough food for everybody. And it drives yeah. me crazy because yes, we, for those of us who lived through the recession, knowing that we went days, sometimes with like three appointments on the calendar, that's a scary place to be. We haven't been in that place for years mm -hmm. and a bajillion more pets <laughs> came to the market during COVID. Like that problem is not going to hit us in the next few years. So if we stop thinking like that and start thinking about how do we take care of the people in front of us, the literal mm -hmm. client people and our teams in that in that same vein, we will do so much good for ourselves. Yeah. I, and that's, that's what I believe. And I, I think it's counterintuitive. And like I said, I think a lot of people really struggle with that because they yeah. do have that mentality of like, I cannot send this away because... I, what if, what if I need clients in the future? And what if all, what if they have a wonderful experience elsewhere and then they tell their friends and then they just use our email list as a, a you know, review service to tell other people about how great the other clinic is and all of my clients leave. And that's not, that's not going to happen. You know, the truth is you have so many appointments that you can see in a day. I see, I hear stories of doctors seeing 30 appointments plus in a day day after day after day after day and they're just the walking dead and i go i know those clients you're seeing are not getting your best and you know and, and i know that they're not um that they're probably not walking out going wow that was a great experience and it's just it's human it's just a reality of being a human being is you have a capacity and you have as much uh you know energy as you have sort of spoon theory we've all got a certain number of spoons at the beginning of the day and we use them up throughout the day. And once you're working past your spoons and you got no spoons left, you're not your best. You're not, you're not in a great place. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. I think the, uh, the other part besides the, you know, this sort of idea of I have to see all the pets just from a scarcity mentality. I think another thing that I see a lot of is this idea of responsibility that veterinarians have. And I think that that's really an interesting question to put to, to doctors and to support staff and say, what is our responsibility? And I put it forward like this. Let's go back to the emergency clinic that says they're closing on Tuesday. And the GPs are going, what? You know, you, you can't close the next um, nearest emergency clinic is two hours away. And I, I'm not taking call. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do this, but my clients have to have uh, they have to have access to care and things like that. And at some point, I look at those doctors and I say, listen, this is not your responsibility. It is your yeah. responsibility to serve the heck out of your clients in the hours that you are open and in business. Yeah. And then, you know, there is responsibility for the pet owners. And, and, and I think it's I think it's good in most ways to take over your amount of responsibility. I think there's a good life rule is take responsibility sure. beyond what's probably reasonable. But at some point you go, this is ridiculous. And um, yeah. we talk about the responsibility and say, you know, and, and this is going to sound really cold, but bear with me. Um, I, I didn't make the emergency clinic close on Tuesdays and I'm not faulting them from making that decision. 
And I never said that I was going to stay awake and be on call if the emergency clinic is not open. I never said that. Right. And you, the pet owner, you chose to live in a place that has one emergency clinic uh, in a two hour radius. And I know that probably was not the driving reason that you decided (laughs) to live here, but it is the unfortunate reality of where you live. And now you have a pet and that pet is sick and there is not any emergency care for two hours. And I would say it's going to be your responsibility, pet owner, to drive two hours to get emergency care if that's all that is available, Yeah. period. You know, and again, yeah. some people go, how dare you say that, Andy? No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I am not infinitely responsible for pets. I'm, I'm not, and I'm not going to be. So I trust me, I don't, I don't want the emergency clinic to be closed. I don't benefit from the emergency clinic being closed. Right. I in no way facilitated the emergency clinic being closed, but it's closed. And so people are going to have to drive two hours to get care on Tuesdays. And the best thing I can do is things that we'll talk about, which is making those expectations clear and and not letting people be surprised or trapped. And you'll hear me on Tuesday afternoon saying, hey, just so you know, the the local emergency clinic is closed on Tuesday nights. And so we either need to get this taken care of now or you need to know how to get to Atlanta two hours away. Yeah. Well, and I think the the last piece of what you were just talking about that's for me is tied to identity is that for so many GPs in my experience, we have been driven to create this family environment where our clients, you know, we we have structured our practices on the foundation of family. And when I think about the ideal family. And I know that this is not the norm for a lot of people, but when I think about the the ideal of family, the idea that when you have an emergency at 2 a.m. and you pick up the phone, someone in your family is going to answer the phone, that that rings true. And so I think from an identity perspective, for so many people, mm-hmm. whether we're telling ourselves or the clients are looking back at us and saying, what do you mean you don't have somebody available at 2 a.m.? you said you were my family vet, that that gets put back on us. And we have assumed the guilt of that. Yeah. And turned it into uh, this is something I must do. This is something I need to do. I'm failing if I don't do this. And I think for me, when I step back and look at that, it is very strongly tied to Mm -hmm. identity in that same way, because we have intentionally strove to create cultures that are based on that family foundation. And that is something that we have to break apart and recognize that in real life, families have boundaries too. Yeah. And, you know, mm. and you bet your ass if my family called with a pet emergency at 2 a.m. Like I might help them, but I might also say the best thing for you to do for Fluffy in this moment is to go to the damn ER. Uh, like, I'm, I'm going to be real honest here. If my family calls with a pet emergency at 2 a.m., they're going to voicemail. Right? You know why? Because I have turned my phone off and silenced it and gone to bed. Like that, I have done that because social media bings all night on my phone. I'm like, that happened. Right. And so there was a meme I saw sometime where someone was like, people who put their phone on do not disturb to go to bed are abandoning people who need them. And the person wrote back and said, to be honest, if you have an emergency between midnight and 6 a.m., that's between you and God. Yeah. And I kind of fall into that camp of like, I put, I'm sorry. Like, and, but again, like to me, that's the system is, yes. you know, I love my family. I'll be there for them. I am silencing my phone and going to bed at the yes. time that I go to bed. And honestly, an hour before I go to bed, I'm silencing my phone and putting it away because I don't want it in my hand and I right. don't, I'm getting ready for bed. But like, that is exactly like, I think it's a great metaphor for this is like, I'm not the guy whose phone stays next to his bed and rings. If you call him, I'm not that guy. Mm-hmm. And I never said I was that guy. And I never promised to be that guy. Yep. And so I'm telling you right now, if you call at 2 a.m., it's going to voicemail. Um, <laughs> and, and again, and I don't mean to be a jerk. And, and here's here's the other thing. I think that uh, when I talk about this and I put these boundaries down, people say, Andy's being a jerk. And, and I, I, hope, I hope you're not thinking that. Um, but I think a lot of times what happens is we sort of dig in and we say, well, he's saying I can't take care of people or that I'm going to be cold and I'm going to turn them away. And I'll give you an example from yesterday. I was in the clinic. Uh, I had finished up, I packed up my stuff. It was 10 minutes before closing time. I probably could have gone ahead and left, but I didn't. And then the receptionist, the front desk person walks in and says, Dr. Rourke, 
we have a client and they're a really good client and they're up front and they have a dog that is limping and do you want to see it because they're a really good client or do you want me just to tell them to go to the emergency vet and i just sat there and i looked at her in the face and I, you know, like the flaming, raging sort of justice was burning uh-huh. under the desk. I could have easily grabbed it. Um, but, and I was like, boundaries, Andy, boundaries. And then another part was, you know, like they're a good client and I, and I want to help these people. And like, you know, I'm not really going home to anything. Had all right. the thoughts that all the vets have all the time. I had all yeah. those thoughts. And so here's what I said. I looked at her and I said, why don't you bring me the beast and let me see it? <laughs> And she was like, like, put him in a room. I was like, no, don't put him in a room. Just Bring tell him I was just, I was just walking out the door and I would like to see the dog real quick. And she brought me this Yorkie and she brings the Yorkie in. <laughs> he's a, like a two-year-old Yorkie, right? And he, yeah, he's that guy. He's the young uh-huh. spry Yorkie before all their teeth fall out and get wonky uh-huh. and, you know, and their, and their cataracts <laughs> pop in. Like he's, he's <laughs> so bad. He's that guy. He's the young, like full of himself Yorkie. And I said, what happened? And they said, um, mom was holding it and she stumbled and fell onto the couch and squished him. And he <laughs> cried. <laughs> now he's limping on his back left leg. He won't put any weight on it. And I said, put the beast on the floor. And that dog sprinted across the room to me <laughs> and jumped up and down on his uh-huh. back feet, Doing you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> pawing, pawing at my knees and just yep. like like pogo sticking on his <laughs> totally healthy back legs uh, just to be picked up. Uh-huh. And so I scooped the beast up and I <laughs> feel his back legs and he's trying desperately to lick my face and it makes no, no sign of right. any sort of pain at all in me just handling him. And so I walked back to the front and I walked into the waiting room and I looked at the woman who had brought the dog in and she said, he's a drama king, isn't he? And I said, you need to go home. And I gave her her dog back. You need to go home. Uh, He is a drama king. You're you're fine. Go home. And she was like, she cried. She was like, thank you so much. Just go, just go home. And so I I tell that story in, in, for this reason, I didn't slam the door in her face. But if he was limping and I was like this, I, I, I have concerns about this. Yeah. Then I would tell her to go to the emergency clinic. Yep. I'd be like, look, I think you need to go to the emergency clinic. We're closing up. Everything is shut down. My staff is going home. I do think you need care. You should go to the emergency clinic. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, and, but that is my, that is the middle ground that I'm talking about. I will look at the dog and then I will either say, but I, I mean, what if you'd been like, go to the emergency clinic? And then they went to the emergency clinic and they waited three hours and the emergency yes. clinic was like, you're fine, go home. You know what uh, I mean? Yes. And so I, I, I put that forward to say, it's not all or nothing. This is not heartless, you know, slam the door in their face, but it's also having boundaries and saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to work your dog up, but I well, will take a look at it and let you know if I really think you need to go to the emergency clinic or not. And, and to the other piece of it to, to, to be fair is, um, and this go, goes to the the next section. We're going to dive into like what what can we do about this finger pointing and how can we try and tackle this problem. But like when you look at the, when you look at the Yorkie and you do think that there's a problem, yep. one of the things that I always ask myself is is this is sending them to the ER only going to make the client feel better? And the patient's going to be right back here in the morning because what the pet needs isn't something the ER would do anyways. Like if the leg was broken and it needed surgery, is it is it something the ER is going to do tonight anyways? And so asking myself questions about that and that allows me to educate the client about, look, they'll see you, they'll they'll do the diagnostics and then they would send you back here for you know, a stable surgery when we can do it in the next, you know, 24, 48 hours, like that would, should, should change how I communicate with the client because for the exact reason you just said, which is how pissed is that client going to be if they go and they sit and they wait for four hours or eight hours, they get a set of x-rays and then the ER says, go back to your doctor and see when they can do surgery for you. You know what I mean? Like it's about managing some of those expectations and educating. And again, to the point in the beginning with the, with the finger pointing, everybody has to work together on this. And yeah. the dysfunction in the communication 
between EP, GPs and ERs, both sides have to ha- have to step up because we have a common ground in our clients. Yeah. And we have to be able to work with that or we'll never fix the problem. Yeah, totally. Let's uh, let's pause here and take a break and then we're gonna come back and let's get into some action steps. Sounds great. Hey guys, just wanna hop in real quick and give you an update on some interesting stuff that's coming your way on September 1st. Stephanie Goss, Stephanie, the practice management goddess Goss. My co-host on the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast is doing a workshop on pay scales. The workshop is called She Works Hard for the Money on Setting Pay Scales. It is on September 1st from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. That is 11 to 1 p.m. Pacific time. It is $99 to the public. It is free to Uncharted members. Check it out. Links in the show notes. Guys, that's all I got. Let's get back into this episode. All right. Well, let's get into action steps we can actually use here. I know what my uh, I know what my big ones are. What are your <laughs> What are your big ones, Stephanie Goss? Well, I think you nailed it in the beginning because you said it's about trust, and so the first thing that came to my mind is both sides need to know each other. You as a GP, yeah. you need to know your ER because. And likewise, as an ER, you need to know who you're referring GPs are because it is the only way for most people to have significant compassion for people on the other side of the table is knowing them. And it's also so much easier to get client buy-in, whichever direction you want to send them. When you have personal relationship you can speak to and personal stories and ties that you can share with the client. And so when you know your your ER doctors as a GP, when you have met them, when you have built relationships with them, being able to give clients education and direction and point to that relationship is immensely easier than having a nameless, faceless big, scary hospital entity that you're just directing people to. That would scare yeah. me as a client. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I completely agree with that. I, 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 I like when ER, ERs put on continuing education or yeah. meet and greets or yeah. doctor trips to other hospitals just to come yes. by and say hi and shake hands with everyone. I think that that's an investment that ERs make that that really does pay dividends. Absolutely. Um, and I can tell you that I, as a doctor, I very much, I want to do a good job for my clients. And I very much like to say, you're going to go see Dr. Hate. She's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've met her a number of times and she's she is the ER doctor. And so I know they've been very, very busy. There may be a bit of a wait time but you're going to be in good hands. Um, Absolutely. That, that makes me feel good and it makes the client feel good. Yeah. The, the, so I agree with that wholeheartedly. The first thing for me is you got to be intentional. Knowing that this situation exists, if you're, and I'm thinking of it from the GP standpoint, it's true for the yes. ER too, but for the yes. GP standpoint is where my head goes. Um, you know that the, at some point, if there's a thing that happens again and again in your practice and you're surprised by it over and over and over again, yes. it's not a surprise. <laughs> it's your business model. That's one of my favorite sayings. And, you know, like I, was I see waiting it again. for you to say yeah. that. <laughs> it's one of my favorite sayings is like if every day you're sending clients to the ER and they're getting frustrated and you're like, ah, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. That's foolish. Um, it, it is time to be honest about what the situation is and what yes. your capacity is and to be intentional in your actions. Right. And so yes. I am really fired up these days about what I'm calling uh, professional boundaries. And these are systems that we put in place that protect our team. Um, and the reason I, I like these systems, hear me out here, um, asking people to make hard decisions about boundaries in the heat of the moment is a mistake. Yeah, It is a mistake. Yep. You need to make clear-headed decisions about what you're going to do and what your team is going to do before you're in that situation. Because when you're in that situation and the pet owner is looking at you in the face, your boundaries are going to fall apart. Um, And so it go back to the example you made about, you know, your family calling at two o'clock in the morning with an emergency pet question. Uh, One of my boundaries is that I turn my phone off an hour before I go to bed and I just do. And people go, but what if something terrible happened? I go, you know what? That has never happened. Like that, is, <laughs> I understand that there's a risk of that. The benefit of me getting good sleep every yeah. night for my life is uh, is higher to me than the risk 
that something is going to happen at two o'clock in the morning that I would feel differently about. Now, mm -hmm. if my kids are out with their friends and they're not home yet, and my kids are too young for that, but when they're teenagers right. and they're out, I'm probably going to not put my phone on silent because it, that is a intentional decision that I have made. Yep. But the point is, I'm going to make an intentional decision. In the case of our vet practices, this is how we schedule, how yes. we book. Are you yes. putting in flex appointments? Are you blocking same day walk-in emergencies? If you're not, and then they're coming in on top of you and you throw your hands up every day and go, whoa, is me. I can't believe another day of mm -hmm. surprise emergency appointments. Like you own that. That's on you, yeah. <laughs> you know? And again, don't well, get me wrong. I'm not trying to be a jerk here. I've been doing this long enough to know that, you know, you can't put your whole schedule on emergency blocks because then nothing comes in. Right. And then you put, take them all away and then everything comes in. And you're always <laughs> going to feel like you either have a little bit too much or yeah. a little bit too few. And it's going to vary with the day. And that's, but that is just the job, right? That is running a healthy long-term business. And so, yeah, we're going to have to decide how we book people out ahead. We're going to have to decide what we say to them when we don't have capacity to see them. We should practice what we say so the front desk is not making it up at the time. We should figure out what our phone protocols are going to be because I'm yeah. going to go home. And am I just going to turn on the answering machine? Am I going to kick over to a paid answering service? You know, I, I am a big fan of that. I like when pet owners call and get to talk mm -hmm. to a person um, mm -hmm. who can make appointments for them with me the next day uh, yeah. or advise they go to the to the emergency clinic. I, I, I like those services, but I'm not, those are not the only ones. So anyway, I think you got a lot of options about what does it mean for us to go home? What does it mean for us to handle emergencies that come in on top of our regular caseload? What do we say when we cannot get people in? I like systems. I mean, there's vet practices out there that have a, a light system, a green, yellow, and red system. So the, the people in the back can say, uh, hey, green light, we're doing just fine. If somebody wants to walk in, then we'll take them right away. And it's a mm -hmm. yellow light, which means if anybody walks in, there's going to be an hour wait. Uh, mm -hmm. you know. And the red light means don't let anyone else come here. And if mm -hmm. they come here, tell them we cannot see you today. Mm -hmm. And and But it's clear communication from the back to the front. I'm not saying yes. you have to do that in your practice, but I'm saying that is an example of the type of systems that I like that we figure out ahead of time and then we implement and then we follow the system. And then people don't have to look in the faces of pet owners and make these decisions in the heat of the moment because that, my friends, is a mistake and it sets you up for failure and it sets you up for resentment because you're going to do what uh, what you feel like you should do in the moment. And then later on, you're going to be mad at yourself because you don't have boundaries and you're missing out on things or you're tired or you're burned out or your staff is quitting. And two things that you said that I want to level up on. One is your your comment about your your business model is so spot on. And one of the things that I have seen so much of is managers responding and saying, well, we do have same day blocks or we do have emergency blocks on the schedule. And when, when asked, what does that look like? They're like, well, we have, you know, three blocks per doctor. And then when you drill down on that, well, how, how many, you know, appointments are you fitting in on top of that? Like how, you know, they're, they're gone by 8am and you drill down on it. What most people are finding is that it, again, it's the need has shifted, you know, two and a half or three years ago, three same day spots worked for a lot of hospitals. Now, so many of us, when you actually look at your numbers, and this is where I'd encourage my manager friends to do a schedule audit. If you're regularly trying to do to figure out what to do with five, six, seven, 10 appointments every morning on top of your scheduled book of appointments, you need to solve that problem. And that doesn't mean that you continue to keep three book same day spots. <laughs> like mm -hmm. that is not working. That is a broken system. And if you just keep doing it, you are to your point, Andy, you are creating your own drama because you have made that your business model. And that is a problem that you could 100% solve in a variety of different ways. And I'm not saying the solution is easy because maybe the solution lies in the fact that you need another doctor and you've been searching for two years for another doctor. I get it. It's hard, but that is something that is controllable for every single one of us. And that's where we need to look at how do we do our job smarter and not harder. Yeah. And that that is something that is fixable. And to your point about uh, the team training, that is a big one for me because repeatedly... I see so many of us unintentionally failing our clients with 
what our teams are saying and how they're saying it. Because there is a dramatic difference between a CSR telling someone, we can't get you in today, but the ER opens at five, and a CSR saying, so let me check with the doctor and then come mm. back on the line and saying, based on what you've told us, Dr. Work feels like Fluffy can probably wait until we can see you tomorrow. If any of these symptoms change in the meantime, that would be cause for concern and you should probably take her to the ER. Like that is a very different educational thing with the client than just giving them carte blanche to dump on the ER for problems that aren't ER problems because we ha- that's where on the GP side, I do think we need to take responsibility and is about staff training because if the team doesn't know either what to say or how to say it, they're going to try and do the right thing. And no one is uh, trying to do the wrong thing by saying we can't get you in today, but the ER opens at five. They're giving them information about the ER, which is good, but we can do so much better. I, I agree with that. And that sort of feeds into my second my second point on action steps is the quote from Voltaire, the best is the enemy of the good. And yeah. man, you talk about one of the biggest problems for veterinarians in vet medicine, the best is the enemy of the good. Um, yep. When when you're working beyond capacity and the emergency clinic is also working beyond capacity, you are not going to provide the best service. Right. right. The, that ship has sailed. It, it just it has. Yep. And again, people get upset when I say things like this, but I'm sorry, I'm just super pragmatic about it. Um, it is not ideal for the pet to be seen at any other time other than right this moment. But guess right. what? That is not going to happen. Like in the absence of a magic wand, which I don't have, uh, mm-hmm. that is, is just not going to happen. So the best is the enemy of the good. I may have to let go of the idea of providing the best care and or if you want to rearrange it in your mind, say, I'm going to provide the best care to the clients who have booked appointments with me. And I and I am not going to try to provide the best care beyond that because I can't. But yeah. you cannot provide the best care to every person who shows up and wants it when you are beyond your capacity. That just doesn't happen. And yep. so at some point when you're working beyond capacity, you're not going to be able to do the ideal thing for everyone. You have to do what is good for everyone. Not what's ideal, not what's perfect, not what's the best, right? And mm-hmm. so what is the what is what is the good? And so what that oftentimes what that often means is balancing inconvenience. Right. And so I, I want the client to have an inconvenience free experience, but that is not going to happen. There is mm-hmm. inconvenience that will be felt by someone. Yeah. I think a lot of vets are like, that someone is me. I'm the person who will be inconvenienced. I will stay late. I right. will bend time and space in order to see three pets at the same time. And I will be inconvenienced. And at some point I go, you know what? Other people are going to be inconvenienced at, at this mm-hmm. point and we need to get comfortable with it. And so your yeah. job is to balance the inconvenience, which means, trust me, this is not convenient for me. I'm not sitting up eating bonbons and being <laughs> fanned, you know, uh, on in the cabana while right. pet owners are frustrated. That's not happening. The truth is that I'm frustrated. I'm trying my best. I'm working real hard. And they're also going to have to bear some of this responsibility, which means they may have to wait till tomorrow. Yeah. They may have to go to the emergency clinic. They may have to, you know, they may not get the wellness appointment they want until two weeks from now. You know what I mean? Like that is a frustration. They might have to go find another vet who can see them before two weeks from now because that's when I can see it. Right. And that is such a, a mind shift for veterinarians. But uh, the best is the enemy of the good. And you go, man, when you're past capacity, I'm going to have to try to do a good job. And that does mean that some pet owners might have to drive two hours for emergency care because the vet clinics close on Tuesday. Yep. Um and that's beyond my that's beyond my control. So they're gonna they're gonna bear some of that responsibility or some of that pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I say pain, I mean it in a figurative sense, not right. not, not a literal <laughs> sense. But they're going to bear some of that inconvenience. And one of the ways that I think that we can address that is I w- I think that we all need to lean in to the idea of setting the expectations with our clients from the beginning. You know, some of us do a great job. When we have clients who will come to our practice for the first time and they tell us, hey, I'm brand new in town, 
we do a great job about educating them on the local resources, mm-hmm. especially like our ERs, where to seek care if we're not available, those kind of things. We don't do such a great job of educating our existing clients. And for the majority of us in GP, our existing client base is 99.9% of our clients. And so if you step back and think about that for a second, like we have a huge opportunity to lean into sharing that inconvenience and setting the expectation from the beginning if we start to think about what do you, what does every client need to know? Because it doesn't matter if they're new to town or they're a new pet owner. Every single client of yours should know what the care options are for after hours or when you are unavailable. Because there are going to be time during business hours where you may be unavailable if you go to CE or close the practice for a funeral. Like life happens. And the reality mm-hmm. is you are not there unless you have a 24-7 model. You are not there 24-7 for your clients. And so being able to have a framework and training for your team so that they know what to say and how to say it so that all of your clients get educated about what to expect and how to expect it is the biggest weapon that the GP side has for solving part of their, something that is within their control that will ease the relationships immensely. Yeah, I wanna double down on that and just say clear expectations. I'm, I'm gonna push it farther. And say clear expectations are the key, I I think, for minimizing the pain in all of this. Uh, The ERs should communicate clear expectations to the GPs. Yes. And if they are having three and four hour wait times on the regular, they should say that to the GPs and send it in an email. um, Yes. Or do do it in a series of phone calls. But they should beat the GPs over the head and say, we want to serve you. In clear expectations, we are immediately booked up as soon as we open our doors. And there is consistently a three to four hour wait period. Also know that we continue to triage cases, which means that Mm -hmm. overflow cases coming from GPs tend to be pushed behind other more severe cases and their Mm -hmm. wait times may be longer. So if you're going to send overflow cases, know that right now those people should expect a three to four hour wait and in some cases longer, depending on the severity of emergencies, and also let them know that they're going to be triaged as opposed to seen in the order that they come in to the practice. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of ER vets are like, oh, GP should know that. They don't know that. They don't think about yeah. that. They don't They don't realize it. They don't, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just not their world. And so make sure that you are being super clear. And remember, sending an email in July does not mean that they're going to remember in October. This needs to be ongoing communication of here's an update on where we are. Same as before, long wait times, sending us overflow stuff they need to prep for a long wait. So send that clear communication. And what that does is that allows the GPs to have clear communication and set clear expectations with the clients like you were talking about, but then saying, this is what you're in for. Um, well, and if they think about it from the perspective of as an ER, the GPs are my clients. Think about when we have a, a patient who has a severe um, disease or injury or a chronic um, disease that needs management. We have continual communication with those clients, right? It's the same for the ERs. They need to communicate with the GPs on a regular ongoing basis because your your point is so true. You know, you get a fax blast in July, they it gets looked at, it goes on the bulletin board for the team and then promptly mm-hmm. forgotten even two weeks later, let yeah. alone in October. And so the ERs need to think about what are they doing from a client management perspective and double down on the on the opposite side of how do we engage and work with the GPs so that they are aware of what our, our struggles are and what the challenges are, not because we're asking them to fix them, but because we want to partner in how do we mitigate the um the damage on all sides because at the end of the day when both sides are having challenges the clients are going to be the ones impacted and so if we can figure out how to work together with that kind of communication it will it will minimize that impact the clients tremendously yeah um a last point for me i guess is uh everybody should be nice to each other like this is a trying time we are all working really hard Uh, capacity is an issue for everyone. If you're a GP, don't be a jerk to the ER. Don't, 
don't yell at those people. Don't give them a hard time. If you have questions, call and ask them questions, but just behave with them the way you would want to be treated. And the same thing with the ER. If a vet sends you something, it's an overflow case and you're swamped and you're like, how dare you send me this? I don't have time for this crap. Don't call them and be a jerk. Um, again, everyone's doing their best. Assume good intent. Yeah. And just, um, again, what's done is done. And so the real question is, how do we go forward in the most productive way from here? And those are the conversations. I have. So Stephanie, that's all I got. You got anything else? No, this was, this was good. I, I can't wait to see. I would love to hear from you guys in, um, in, in the comments when this one goes up, because I would love to know what are other things like, I am super interested in where do we take this? Because I don't think this is a problem that's going away. And I think we're going to have to think creatively outside of the box for some of those long-term solutions. Because like I said, puppy and kittens from COVID are here and they are going to continue to need lifelong care. So this overflow of patients is not something that's going to magically disappear or we're going to just snap our fingers and one day it's gone. We're going to have to figure out how to work together and solve this problem in the coming months and years. Yeah. All right. Cool, buddy. Let's talk again soon. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. Well, guys, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. As always, thank you for spending your part of your week with us. Andy and I enjoy spending part of our week with you. And I have a favor to ask. If you guys enjoyed this week's podcast, will you take two seconds and do two things for me? Will you go to wherever you source your podcast from and leave us a review if you haven't already? And if you have, thank you so much for taking the time. We really do appreciate it. We love the feedback from you and it helps us spread the word about the podcast. And number two would be to hit the subscribe button while you're there because subscribing the podcast ensures that you get the episodes straight to your device as soon as they're available. Those two things will help do a lot for us to spread the word about the podcast. And we appreciate your help with both of them. Thank you so much for listening this week, you guys. Take care and have a fantastic week. We'll see you again soon.